0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Um, The opening line of that song is actually taken from the Heidelberg Catechism, 1563, and it says, What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is, That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, are not my own, but belong... To my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood, is fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserved me, that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore by His Holy Spirit, He assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Not awesome? So good. We really appreciate you guys being here. My name is Eric Cobb. We're going to be in Acts 1, but uh, first I just want to acknowledge Mother's Day. Um, we're really thankful for all you mothers that are here, and uh, we have some chocolate for you guys, and we got we got you guys the good stuff, and we want you to get a generous portion of it. So they're going to come around. They're going to give it to all the ladies that are here, uh, whether you're mother or not. We're going to give them all the ladies, but we're thankful so much for you and um, what you've done and the sacrifices you make and... The sanity you've lost, um, the, uh, the the years that were taken. <laughs> it's we know that it's a it's it's a it's a labor of love. And what's really cool is you look in the in the Bible, and God's called Father, but He's also in some ways shown to uh, to mother his people. You think of Jesus, and he's he's outside Jerusalem, and he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, how I long to gather you, as a hen would gather chicks under her wings. Or in Isaiah, when it talks about, could a nursing mother forget her child, so I can never forget you. And and, and you guys, mothers, image forth God in a way that's special and different than fathers, and we're so thankful. And I think also, this is like a Mother's Day sermon, uh, in the New Testament, when, when Paul talks to Timothy, and Timothy apparently didn't have... His dad, or didn't have a believing dad, and it says that his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, that they were the ones that instructed him in the things of God and brought him to a point to prepare him to receive the gospel when Paul came. And so um, we're super thankful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the mothers who are here. We thank you for our mothers who are not here or, or, or with you now. And we just thank you for the way that you've made men and women different and complementary, that you've made fathers and mothers different, and that they show us something of your love, Lord, imperfectly, but truly. And we're so thankful for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Let's look at our scripture here. We're in uh, Acts 1. I'm going to read you guys from Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. And it says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he was given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs and appeared to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, this, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons that my father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing to heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood in white robes, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up at heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray once more. Father, we come before you um, to ask for your spirit to come and to bless us and to teach us and to show us the glory of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would so magnify yourself here this morning that we would leave in joy and wonder and mission Lord, we thank you for your word that you've not left us without a witness to what occurred during these times so long ago, but you've given us a word that we can rely on and know and study and internalize and eat and drink and enjoy. And Father, we pray that you do that for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, guys, um, is, it celebrates an important anniversary. And the anniversary that it, that it celebrates is an anniversary that happened last Thursday, so just a few days ago. And uh, last Thursday was the anniversary of the ascension of Jesus the Messiah. And um, just if you look at verse 3, it says that after the resurrection, he was around for 40 days, and then he ascended. And I think this is a spot in the timeline we don't remember a lot of times, but Jesus was, uh, was born, he became a human, he was born, he, he lived a perfect life, he suffered, he died on a Friday, he was raised on a Sunday, and then he was around for 40 days and then he ascended. And a lot of times we don't realize all that happened, and we kind of have a blank after Easter, because that's kind of how the church calendar goes for us, is you, know, you stop at Easter, and then you move on, and then he's born again, and you're like, I don't know when he left, or how he left, or, or, or in what manner. And so it's really important, guys, that we get kind of immersed in the timeline of Jesus' life, because this particular anniversary passes every year unnoticed. And, um, and traditionally, the church would have a... A service or a feast day, usually on Thursday for this, and maybe we'll move up to feast next time. We're just trying to do service first, and then we'll move up to feast. Feast would be a great idea. And, um, and, and they would remember it each year, remember the ascension, and learn about the ascension be reminded of the importance of the ascension, just like on Easter you're reminded of the importance of the resurrection. You guys have been trained on that year after year. And there's plenty of material, guys. The Bible's full of stuff about the ascension. I mean, I have like eight hours worth. So I hope you guys are comfortable. We're going to do like eight hours. It's going to be awesome. Yep. So uh, Kenny's like, no problem, go for it. You know, uh, we don't actually have the school for that long, so I'll, I'll cut it short. But we want to immerse ourselves in the timeline. The other thing we're going to add, so we're going to do this as a, as a regular occurrence every year. And then the next thing we're going to add is next week is the anniversary of, the, of, the, uh, of Pentecost. So it's 50 days, right? So that would be um, Next Sunday, so we'll have Pentecost Sunday. But what is the ascension? Well, the text puts it pretty simply. It just says that while they were watching, in verse 9, it says, he was lifted up in a cloud, took him away. And it's kind of hard to know what to do with that. And I think that's part of the reason maybe we've dropped Ascension Sunday, is, you know, we don't really know what to do with this. And I think the apostles weren't really sure what to do with it either. Look at verse 10. It says, and while they were gazing into heaven, he went, and behold, two men stood in white robes, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back the same way. It's kind of funny, you know. They just watched, you know, their, their master is sitting there. They're just hanging out. They're talking. And then it's not an explosion. It's not fog. It's not trumpets. It's like he just goes up. You know, he just goes up. It's, there's very little fanfare, but, I mean, do you need any? That's pretty remarkable. He just goes up and then he disappears into the clouds just kind of the way a balloon would disappear. In fact, when I did children's ministry and we talked about this, I got a balloon for him and I said, "Hey, you know, we're going to talk about the ascension and we just watched it go up." And gone, you know? And that's the way Jesus did. And it's hard to know what to do with that. The angels are getting to the fact here, you know, it sounds kind of funny though. They're like, "What are you looking at?" It was like, "A guy just ascended." You're like, this is a big deal. But what the angels are getting at is, "Why are you inactive?" The ascension should stir you to excitement and joy and action. It shouldn't leave you standing around looking up, right? And and later on, they actually did have the right reaction to it. Luke wrote about the ascension twice. He wrote about it in the book of Luke, which he wrote, and in Luke, the gospel of Luke. And if you look in chapter 24, it says how they left the place. It says in Luke 24, 52, it says, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So it created joy, it stirred them to mission, it got them excited, it caused them to worship. And that's what I'm praying would happen this morning. That we would go from a stage of like not even knowing what the ascension is about to maybe looking up at it and seeing it to being sent away in joy and worship and mission. And so what changed the apostles? Why did they go from just staring up to being filled with joy? They came to understand what the ascension was about. The ascension is not just about Jesus' absence it's about the, him activating everything he came to do. The ascension is the activation of everything he came to do. It, it's like in his first coming, he packed the place with explosives, and as he ascended, he lit the fuse. You know, And his whole, everything he came to do was activated. It was set loose on the world through the ascension. It was like a, like a big bang. Everything that Jesus came to do exploded out into the world for our blessing and for his glory. So what did Jesus come to do? Um, What's really exciting is that the Old Testament actually builds an expectation for what Jesus came to do. Um, the Old Testament, through various ways, has various themes that can only be completed in Jesus. turns out that the Old Testament doesn't work as a book by itself, because it doesn't have the rest. There's a missing piece to it. And one of the things that the Old Testament does is it has these three offices that occurred in Israel that Jesus fulfills, and the three offices are prophet priest, and king. So Israel had three types of leadership, three types of offices, prophet, priest, and king, and they all point to Jesus. Okay, so prophet, the prophets, what did they do? They spoke God's word, right? The priests, what did they do? They were mediators, right? And the main way they mediated was through sacrifices and prayers, right? Through sacrifices and prayers. They were mediators. And then kings, they obviously ruled the people. And there was kind of a separation of powers thing going on here, right? Where you had, you remember what happened to King Saul when he decided he'd want to be priestly and offer a sacrifice. You know, he lost the kingdom. Um, there were these three things, and they were to be fulfilled all in one person only once Jesus came, Right? And so he fulfills these three. These three have created an expectation. And what's really fun is if you look in the New Testament, different books emphasize his different office in the ascension. So the book of Acts emphasizes that he's the ascended prophet. Um, The book of Hebrews emphasizes what? He's the ascended priest, right? And then Ephesians emphasizes he's the ascended king. And all these come together in this beautiful picture. So through his life and death and resurrection, Jesus took on all these roles. And then when he's ascended, those roles get activated in a huge way. And so we're going to look at those three. We're going to look at prophet, priest, and king. So first prophet, really cool. In the Old Testament, the prophets heard from God and told the people, right? That was their role. That was their job. And the first prophet that's listed is Moses. And Moses had prophesied that one day there was a prophet that was going to come that was greater than him. And you think about that, that's huge, because you think about Moses' power. Moses had an immense amount of power. Moses heard directly from God, gave it to the people. I mean, he was like God to them. You know, he wasn't God to them, but he was like that, because he, he was God's mouthpiece. It was revered. And Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, that the Lord God will raise up a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And so they expected some sort of prophet bigger than Moses. Didn't come throughout the whole Old Testament. No prophet was bigger than Moses. And then in Acts 3.22, Peter quotes this passage, Deuteronomy 18, and says, Jesus is that ultimate prophet, that if you listen to him, you will live, and if you disobey him, you will die. Um, Are any of you guys uncomfortable with talking about Jesus as a prophet? Some people are, and the reason is more and more, you know, with Islam growing more and more, we have contact with Islam, uh, with Muslim beliefs, and they believe Jesus is just a prophet, okay? And so I know some Christians are a little edgy about this, like, well, yeah, he's a prophet, but. And the reason why we're edgy about that is because Jesus is more than a prophet, right? But he's not less than a prophet. See, a prophet, the way it worked is you had God, he's the source, and he had a message, and then he had a messenger, which is the prophet, to the people, The thing with Jesus is that Jesus is not just the messenger, he's the source too, and the message. He's all he's the whole pathway. So we think about he is God, he's the source of the message, he is the message, he's often called the word of God, he is the message, and he is the messenger. But he's not less than a messenger, he's more than a messenger. And that's why Jesus, when he came, he spoke with such authority. You know, you read the Gospels, and we're used to it, but the way Jesus talks is so outside of the norm of any teacher at that time. He taught with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He said things like, you've heard said this, but I say this. You know, he didn't say, hey, you know, this other rabbi says this, and I think it's kind of cool. No, he said, this is what I say. This is my word. Listen to my word. And it drove his opponents crazy. It drove them crazy that he would talk with that kind of authority, Right? And yet, Jesus has these powerful words, and yet they're limited in distribution. Think about in his whole ministry, not in his life, but in his whole ministry... His prophetic ministry was only in a very small little patch of land. It's little country in the Middle East. He never left that for the purpose of his prophetic ministry. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine you have God in the flesh with the only words of life, the only words that can give salvation and life, and he's limited to this tiny little country, and there's this whole vast world that needs it. Can you imagine that? That's the way it was until the ascension. The ascension is the activation of his ministry as prophet. At the ascension, Jesus' work of being a prophet would be launched into the whole world. And it would happen through his people. There's a really interesting exchange. Look at the beginning of Acts. In verse 1, when he introduces it, he says, In the first book, which is the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. What's really interesting about that is everything Jesus began to do and teach. What does that imply? That the book of Acts is what? What? Him continuing to do and teach, right? This is Jesus continuing to do and teach throughout the, 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 the book of Acts and actually throughout church history. He's doing it through his people. He's continuing to do and teach. His prophetic ministry is happening through his people. Isn't that amazing? Through people like you, regular people, right? I love the exchange in verse 6 when they have questions for Jesus and they say, Jesus, is it now that you're, uh, Lord, will you uh, now at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. I love that because they're like, hey, are you going to do this? And he goes, let me tell you what you're going to do. You know? He's like, is this a time when you'll do this? And he says, that's not your business, but I'll tell you what you're going to do. We're going to extend his prophetic ministry. He's given us his word to, to, to send out throughout the whole world. The Ascension sets that ministry loose from that little patch of the Middle East all over throughout the whole world. It's explosive, right? I was thinking it's a a little bit like the invention of radio. You know, you had one person that could speak to just one crowd of people, and then you had radio, and what could happen? That word could go out through a whole country. As a person speaks, it could go out through a whole country. And um, through all these tiny speakers all over the country, you could hear that one speaker. That's what happened at the Ascension is that Jesus has gone into heaven, and his word has gone out through his people, and now Jesus is able to be heard throughout the whole world through millions of tiny speakers, his people. Isn't that awesome? You see the wisdom of it? You see how um, him ascending caused his prophetic ministry to, to fire out through the world. And it has fired out through the world. Um, we're really good, and I think, it's a, I think it's probably from our heritage from being based on a, a Jewish way of thinking and now a Christian way of thinking, but we're super good at beating ourselves up and talking about how horrible we've done things. Okay, And that's pretty much the Old Testament does that all the time. You know, We're horrible, and here's what we did, and we were terrible, and we didn't do what we needed to do. And we're good at doing that too. But guys, even with all our bumbling, and we have done a lot of bumbling, we've done worse than bumbling, look at how the gospel is spread throughout the world. I mean, there are still unreached people groups. Um, There are places that we need to reach with the gospel. But it's amazing, guys, when you think about that Jesus in this small little place in the Middle East, after he ascended, the gospel goes everywhere. And the gospel expansion is taking place big time in Latin America, uh, in Africa. They say by 2050, like four out of ten. Uh, Christians will be in Africa actually. Um, Throughout Asia, you see the gospel blowing up. You think about, like, Holly was with us last week and what's happening in Cambodia, and you think about uh, Lorian and she's desiring to go to the Middle East. Um, Gospel is spreading with great power because Jesus is the ultimate prophet, and through his spirit, he is sending us out. And all we're called to do is be faithful little speakers. Right? Like that radio example. All we're called to do is be faithful little speakers. And and why does it work this way? It works this way, guys, because the power is not ultimately in you, and the power is not in me. The power is in God's Word. Because Jesus is that ultimate prophet, and His Word has power. Uh, Listen to how Luther described the power of the Reformation. I love this. So Martin Luther, 1500s, the Reformation, just the gospel spreading like crazy. This is how he described the power behind it. He said, for the, for the word created heaven and earth and all things. The word must do the thing, not we poor sinners. In short, I will preach, teach, and I will write, but I will constrain no man by force, for faith must come freely without compulsion. And then he goes, take myself for example. I opposed indulgences and the Pope, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word, otherwise I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor has ever inflicted such losses on it. I did nothing, the word did everything. Did you love that? He preached the gospel, and then he took a nap and had a beer and watched it happen. You know, it's like that's the way he describes it. You know, so we don't need to venerate him. God's word is powerful. You know, just to unleash. You know, he translates the Bible into the common German language. And it's a firestorm. It's just gospel spreading. It's amazing. God's word's powerful. You guys remember the vision of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37? I love that. I love that vision. It's really cool. It'd be a great one to, to preach like around Halloween or something, you know. But um, it's this, it's this um, he gets this vision that he, God takes him out in a valley And there's all these dead bodies, but they're bones. They're bones and they're dry. He said they're very dry, right? So there's no life in these bones, right? And and he's asked by God, like, son of man, can these bones live? And he says, Lord, you know. And he says, prophesy over the bones. And he does. He prophesies over the bones. And then there's this really amazing scene, you know, this is a vision where the bones start clanking together, you know, and assembling themselves. And then their sinew, the little, you know, uh, tendons and ligaments start hooking it up, and then their skin, and then, but there's no life in them. And then he prophesies over them again, and then life comes in them, and it's a great big army of living people from dry bones. That's what God's word does to people spiritually, guys. Dead, dry boned souls hearing the word of God and coming to life. That's what God's word does. Jesus has ascended and has unleashed his word in the world. All we're called to do is repeat it. And guys, by the way, that's our plan as a church. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're not super savvy with our planning. Um, it's, we, this is all the chairs we have, by the way. Um, so there you go. But, uh, but we don't have like this amazing mastermind plan. What is it? It's, it's like Luther's plan, you know? Put the word out. God's word changes lives. You guys know that. You guys have experienced that. You guys have been those people where you're like not real interested in the Lord. Maybe you didn't hate, feel like you hated him, but you certainly weren't interested. Went about your business. You heard God's word, and then all of a sudden you're like going to church, and you're like, when did this happen? I never said I was going to want to go to church, you know? And you've got a Bible, and you're, you're, you're learning about God's word, and it, it's alive to you all of a sudden. What happened? There's the spirit of God through the word of God. It's amazing. And, and, and so I want to ask you, though, this morning, have you heard the rebuke of the, of the angels in here? Why do you stand looking up, you know? Why do you stand looking up when you hold this word in your mind, in your hands, you have the word of Jesus, and you know that any time you share the word of Jesus with a lost person, it's Jesus speaking to them. It's no different than Jesus speaking to them. Isn't that amazing? You have his words. You're the speaker. Do it. Okay, so the ascension shows that Jesus is our prophet. Secondly, the ascension shows that Jesus is our ascended priest. I like this one. Uh, Jesus is our ascended priest. Priests acted in the Old Testament as mediators, and they did two main things. They did praise too, but sacrifice and prayer. That was their big thing, sacrifice and prayer. And they were mediators, meaning you have sinners here, you have a holy God here, and you have a person that's a go-between, a mediator between them. And the Old Testament history was very clear that you cannot come to God without a mediator. That's exceedingly clear. Remember Mount Sinai? They go to Mount Sinai, and there's like lightning, and it's crazy, right? This mountain. And, and he tells Moses, he says, tell the people not to come near the mountain, or they're going to die. Tell them to make sure their animals don't come near the mountain, because they're going to die. Everyone's going to die that comes near the mountain. You know, it's kind of clear. It's like, okay, well, God's redeemed us and everything, but we can't go near him. Obviously, Moses will go up. He'll go up and take care of this. And then he comes down and he's like got this shining face thing. It's crazy. He's all lit up from being with God. And they don't even want to see that. They're like, put something over that. Like, we can't even stand to see the glory from you being with him. And then a little later, if they didn't get the point, there was the tabernacle and the temple system, right? And so you had two main spaces inside. You had the courts, but then you had the temple. You had the holy place. Only priests could go in there. Not any normal guy could go in there. And then you had what? The holy of holies, right? And only the high priest could go in there. And he could only go in once a year. And he had to do it quick, right? Like, because he wasn't really welcome in there. He had to offer sacrifice for his own sins and the sins of the people. And it wasn't something where you hung out and kind of had a quiet time with God. It was like, you got your business done. Offer the sacrifice. Pray. Get out of there. You could die. And there's tradition that, like, they tied a rope around their legs, put a little bell, the little bell stops jingling, and they, like, drag his carcass out. We're going to need a high priest, you know. That kind of a thing, right? It's scary. What's the message? The message is access denied. God's presence is not somewhere you can just waltz right into and, and be welcomed. The ascension, guys, though, shows that there is one man that could just shoot right on up into the Holy of Holies, the real one, the one in heaven. You know, the book of Hebrews talks about how they there were very detailed in the Old Testament. Have you ever read the detail of, like, you need know, do your Bible reading plan, you get in the part where it talks about the tabernacle and all the furniture and, you know, the pomegranate things and all this stuff, right? Lots of decor. You're like kind of like, wow, I don't need to build one. I'm not really sure why this is in here. Well, the book of Hebrews says that that was the reason why it was so detailed. In chapter 8, verse 5, it says that it was a, a copy of the true holy of holies in heaven, and so you need to make it all detailed exactly the way I say, because this is a copy. It's almost like a, it's like a toy, you know, a toy model of something in heaven where God really was. And you think, if a human being couldn't go in the model of it, no human being can go in the true holy of holies in heaven, the true presence of God. But Jesus did. Jesus, in the ascension, when they watched him ascend one thing that said is that Jesus himself, this man, was welcome in the very throne room of God. And you know what he did in there? lived there, lived there for like 1,985 years he's been in there, right, he didn't have to scurry out or anything like that, he's comfortable in there, he can be in there, he's welcomed there, he's welcomed in there as our high priest, as your priest, your priest is in the very presence of God, that's what the ascension teaches us, because he's made the ultimate sacrifice, in Hebrews 1, 3 it says, after making purification for sin, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, isn't that amazing? The ascension shows us that Jesus went in there and sat down. You know, when you read all those descriptions of the tabernacle and what was inside, there's all kinds of furniture, right? There's, like, a table, and there's, like, a basin, and there's all this other stuff. You know what furniture is not listed in there? A chair. There's no chair in there. You don't go in there and sit down. And you also don't go in there and sit down because the work of a priest was never done. These jokers keep sinning. You know, you go in there, you offer the thing, you got it done, it's immediately not done. Had to go over and over and keep offering and sacrificing. There was no chair in there. But Jesus has seated now in the true Holy of Holies because his work is done. He did it once and it's done. One death for your sins. Nothing for him to add. He doesn't need to touch it up. You know, you had a bad week, you fell into sin. He doesn't go like, oh, well, we better touch that up, you know. No, it's a once and for all thing. And if he doesn't have anything to add to it, you don't have anything to add to it, right? Right? With your religious deeds, it's like, oh, I'm going to add this religious deed or that religious deed or maybe my Bible reading plan is my thing, you know? If I really keep faithful on this and that adds a little bit to what he did, it's done. If he doesn't have anything to add, you don't have anything to add. There's nothing to add to it. He is seated to show that it is finished. Um, Theological term for that is session. So it's always fun to know these, right? So have you ever heard the states of Christ? The states of Christ are there's this preexistence before he became a man, eternal son of God, True God, but without a body. Incarnation, then there's 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 three stages of his humiliation. There's his incarnation, there's his suffering, and there's his death. That's his humiliation. Then there's four parts to his exaltation. There's his resurrection, his ascension, his session, and his return. Isn't that cool? His session. It's he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And, and but you know what's interesting? I was reading through Hebrews this week, and um, Though he's seated, he's not inactive. What's he doing? Yeah, because that's the other part of being a priest, right? He already offered the sacrifice. Doesn't he to do that again? He's done that once. Now he's doing the other part of being a, uh, a priest, which is he is interceding. He prays for you. He prays for every one of you who trust in him. For every one of you that Jesus is your priest, he prays for you by name personally, all the time. Hebrews 7.25, check this out. Jesus is able to save to the utmost all who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That word intercession means prayer. He lives for it. You have people that are like, hey, you know, you you mind doing this for me? Oh yeah, no problem. I really appreciate it. No, no, I live to do that stuff. He lives to pray for you. He loves it. He prays for you constantly, all the time. There's a a pastor that I really love from the 1800s. His name is Robert Murray McChain. He only lived to be like 30. He was very sickly and died, I think tuberculosis or something. But um, he said this about this verse. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies is that true? Can you imagine? I mean, John 17 is kind of a picture of that, right? Of what he prays for you. Or some of the prayers of Paul are kind of the prayers that he would pray for you. If I could hear Christ, imagine that. Imagine you're just like, you know, thin walls, you know, and you're hearing it. Um, Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a, a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He prays for me. And if he's your priest, the ascension shows that he prays for you in the very presence of God all the time. Because a lot of us were like, hey, can you pray for me? Yes, I'll pray for you. A lot of times I want to pray for you right then, you know, make sure I do it, right? So pray for you right then. And we, a a lot of times want, like, it's more encouraging the more they love us and know us. And it's also more encouraging the more holy we think they are, right? (laughs) Like, you're pretty close. I kind of feel like you know him. You pray for me. And the other guy's like, oh, I'll pray for you. Like, okay, that's cool. Hey, but you, uh, you know, the kind of a thing, right? Guys, Jesus prays for you. (laughs) There's nobody closer, right? Jesus prays for you. How should we respond to this? The author of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 4.14, he says, since then we have a great high priest, listen to this, who has passed through the heavens, what's that talking about? The ascension, right? Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then With confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't you love that? He says that we should draw near with confidence. Isn't that amazing? To the throne of grace. You guys realize that before you're a Christian, the throne you're facing is the great white throne of judgment. It's in Revelation 19, and it's terrifying. uh, You should read it. Terrifying. It says when the great white throne of judgment appears, it says heaven and earth flee away is that crazy? It's like, it's like a place with roaches. You turn on the light and the roaches scatter. The whole created world flees when the throne comes. Nowhere to hide, right? It's just you and the throne. It's the great white throne of judgment. The ascension tells us, though, for those who trust in Christ, that the throne has been changed to the throne of grace. And I have this weird visual. I don't know if it helps you. But I imagine like the throne of, of the great white throne and the throne of grace like this, and almost like on a, on a pivot, on a swivel or something, and when Jesus uh, ascended, it assured us that the throne, the great white throne of judgment, has been turned, and all we get is the throne of grace. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that good? I love that. And so we should approach him boldly. When should we approach him boldly? Is it when we feel like we kind of had a good week? We've kind of been real good? No. What does he say? He says to find mercy and grace. When do you need those? When you're sinning, right? In time of need. We should come when we are in sin. That's when we come to the throne of grace, to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. We should come to him right away. I know a lot of us Christians, we have this kind of time out thing, where, you know, you try and kind of live it on your own strength, and you fail, and then, like, you don't go to God for, I don't know, what does he need, 24 hours, something like that, because you feel like, i got to let him cool off, or i got to, like, prove myself to be serious before I could come back to him, right? Like, how are you going to do that? You actually need him to do that, you know, Right? We should come immediately to the throne of grace. We have that high priest who has ascended into the true temple of God. He prays for us all the time. And this whole idea of priests is super important because some religions teach a need for priests. You know, a need that you need somebody closer to God to pray for you, somebody closer to God to connect you. Who's closer than Jesus? You know, the gospel doesn't say we don't need a priest. The gospel says don't settle for any priest but Jesus. You kidding me? And by the way, guys, I'm not your priest, okay? I'm not closer to God than you are. You know why? Because you have this high priest. You are close to God. Go to him, right? He's our high priest. Lastly, he's our king. Jesus is our ascended king. Um, Once again, reading through the Bible, you will notice a theme of kings. You will notice that kings create a lot of hardship and difficulty for their people throughout there. Um, you see a theme, there's a theme of a longing for a perfect king. Like, as you read through the Old Testament, you should be more and more going, I need a king, Uh, I need a perfect king, we need a king to make this place right. And you see in Judges, right, you read in Judges, horrendous stuff happening in Judges, really bad stuff, stuff that is completely not okay. And it says over and over again, it says that the people just did what they wanted because there was no king in the land, and they did whatever they thought was right, right? Whatever was right in their own eyes. And so Judges is supposed to make you feel like, these people need a king. Like, they need somebody to rule over them. And then you get to kings, and what do you do? Not like these ones, right? For the most part, there's some good ones, but most of the time they're bad. And, that's, and so Judges tells us we need a king. Kings tells us we need one not like these ones. And then the Psalms and the Proverbs say, I got you. I'm sending the real king, right? There's this whole longing set up throughout the Old Testament, so much so that by the time Jesus came, there was a Messiah fever in the air. People were longing for a king to come. Now, they had some wrong expectations, but they were longing for a king to come and set things right. They were aching for that anointed king, the Messiah. And you guys remember on Palm Sunday, you can see that, right? You can see as he entered into Jerusalem, they're crying out, Hosanna, save us. And Jesus is saying, that's right, I am the king, right? Comes in on the donkey, you know, they're throwing down their clothes and the palm branches and things like that for him to walk over. And they're crying out, save us. And then he goes through his trials, and the high priest asks him questions, and he makes clear, yeah, I'm the king. And then Pilate asks, are you a king? And he said, you have said so, right? And then he's beaten and mocked as a king, right? They put him in a purple robe, and they put a a crown of thorns on his head, and they, they mock homage to him, right? And then Pilate does this great, ironic, totally true thing and puts king of the Jews on the top of the cross. He dies as a king. And then the ascension guy shows us that that king has taken the only throne in the universe, and he sits on it right now. And awesome? And that word ascension, guys, it actually has a double meaning, doesn't it? Ascend can mean go up, and what else can it mean? It can also mean become a king, right? And it has that same thing going on in the language here. It can mean to go up, but it also can mean, ascend can mean to become king, to be, uh, it can describe a coronation. So it can either be a change in position or a change in power. And it was both, but it's mainly a change in power. Jesus didn't just go up in position, he went up in power. And when he went up, it wasn't like he just went up, he's not like above you the way that your neighbor is in the apartment above you. I mean, people sometimes talk about the man upstairs, it's like nails on chalkboard for me. Can't stand it when people say, talk about God and call him the man upstairs, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to back up, <laughs> you're going to get struck by lightning, <laughs> you know, like I just, ugh, it bothers me. But he is not above us the way your neighbor is in the apartment above you. You know why he's above you? He's above you in the way an author is above the characters he's written into a novel. He's above you like that. He's sovereign and in control like that. And for a time, God himself wrote himself into the story, right? He became a real human being. He remains a true human being. And then he ascended and went up to his place of power again. And that's why, you know, the first Russian he went up there and he's like, went up there in space and I didn't see God. You know, he's having this idea of just up. When he ascended, it's about power. There's not a place to go look for him up. He's actually not in the created realm in the same way that he was physically. And I can't describe all this, and there's probably somebody you read that can. But um, it's like a different dimension or something. Um, when you, it, but I don't believe he's far either. I mean, when you look at the thing with Stephen and he's being killed, and it says heaven opened and he could see Jesus. And I'm assuming like that was pretty close that he could make out that he's looking at Jesus. So somehow God is able to open the division between heaven and earth at will, um, but he went into the very throne room of God. And and it doesn't look that way from the apostles' point of view, right? They just see him, he goes up in a cloud, and he's gone, right? Um, We don't see it from our point of view what was exactly happening. We don't see the coronation party, right? Um, How many of you guys have been to Carlsbad Caverns? Carlsbad Caverns? I think we should all take a field trip. Um, I actually haven't been there. But Carlsbad Caverns is interesting because I've seen pictures of it, and you look at the outside of it, and it just looks like a cave, right? If somebody found it originally. You know, somebody did find it originally. It would be just like a cave, no big deal, right? What happens when you go inside? You go inside, it's massive and gigantic. There's stalactites, and there's stalagmites, and there's pools of water and weird colors and all this stuff going on inside. It's amazing, right? The, the big room there is 4,000 feet long, 625 feet wide, and it has 255-foot ceilings. How high do you think this ceiling is? What do you think? You, 20. She does commercial real estate. She's like, I know exactly how high it is. So <laughs> this is 20. So we're talking like 12 times the height of this ceiling, okay? And inside, there's 30 miles of this that they've explored, and then there's more miles of it that they haven't. But see, the thing with Carlos Bad Caverns is What you see depends on what side of the opening you're on. If you're on the outside and you see just the cave, you're like, oh, cave, no big deal. You're on the inside, you're like, this is amazing. It's the same with the ascension. They were on the outside. They just see him whisk away in a cloud. They don't see what's going on on the other side, right? They don't see the inside of what happened. What if we could have seen from the heavenly side? So he goes through through a portal or whatever, and then he's in heaven. What if we could see it from that side? What would that be like? You know what? Daniel actually got a preview of the ascension in chapter 7. And he actually got to see it from the heaven side 600 years before it happened. It's really cool. Let me read it to you. This is what he saw. This is what you would have seen if you were on the heaven side when Jesus returns from earth, taking the cloud and pops in on the other side. This is what he would have seen. He, Daniel says this I saw in my night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there was one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples and nations and languages that they should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. is that amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing to see? it be amazing to see, and you think like, okay, wait, Jesus receives dominion and glory and kingdom. Didn't he have that already? And he did as the eternal son of God. He had all those things before he came here. But he's receiving it now as a man. God, Jesus is both God and man. And this is the first time that he was able to sit on the throne of the universe as the God-man. There is a real human man, the same man that died on the cross, seated on the throne of the universe right now. Human man. Amazing. Amazing, right? He's seated there, and he has dominion, and from there he governs every atom and every wind and every life and every power in the universe. He runs the whole thing. Isn't that amazing? I was thinking about it this week, and I couldn't help but be happy for him. I know that sounds really weird. I couldn't help but be happy for him because I'm like you deserve this. I mean, Jesus deserves this after all he's been through, living that life for us in our place and dealing with all that. And then the, the, the suffering endured and the death he endured, and now he's on his throne. And I'm just like, you deserve this. You deserve all glory and power and dominion. You, you deserve to reign in whatever way you want for your joy and glory for eternity. Doesn't he? And he rules for our joy too. It's so comforting to know that Jesus is steering the course of the universe, isn't it? He's steering it. He's steering the course of every human, of every event in history. Um, I don't like letting people drive at all. It's a control thing, I guess. I don't like it. I get car sick, you know? But even if I didn't get car sick, I don't want people driving me, right? Um, I love the fact that Jesus is driving the universe. I just love that. I could just kick back and sleep and rest in it and just trust him with the drive can't you he is steering every single part of this and and it's important because this place looks out of control okay this world looks like a ship in a storm being beaten around and raging storm and when it's peaceful this is the way i work when it's peaceful i'm like that's the calm before the storm (laughs) yep it's only a matter of time and it is only a matter of time you know that's true right This is a rugged ride, right? It's like a ship tossed in a raging sea. And the ascension, though, reminds us that Jesus himself is reigning and ruling, and he's steering the ship. He's up there like, you know, and the storm's like, and everything's crazy. You hear the creaking and and water coming to the ship, and yet he's steering with all wisdom and love and grace, no matter how bad it gets. I love what Spurgeon said about it. He said, if Jesus is at the helm singing, let us not be fearing right if jesus is at the helm of the ship singing let us not be fearing do you trust him do you trust him when those waves are raging and they will rage i mean if you're in a good place right now just wait happy mother's day <laughs> wood beams crack water comes in you're tempted to be afraid and then what do you hear jesus singing at the helm i got this right did you know that ephesians 122 says this God has put all things into the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. (laughs) Did you know that? That's actually a direct quote, by the way. For the benefit of the church. He is in control of all things for the benefit of us. Jesus has promised, guys, to bring this ship, as crazy as it looks right now, into the harbor safe. He's promised to do that. He's promised to do that when he returns. Look at verse 11. The angel said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up? And he says, this Jesus who was taken to you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus left physically, right? He's going to return physically because he's not done with the physical creation. He loves the physical creation. It isn't like he makes physical creation, we rebel, it goes bad, and he goes, well, that was a terrible idea. Let's just do a non-physical thing. No. He's coming back physically. He's made himself physical. And he's coming back physical. He will return physical. Not to take us all back to heaven, but to bring heaven down to earth. You guys realize that? He's not coming to bring us all back to heaven. He's coming to bring heaven down to earth. That's what it says in Revelation 21. It says that his kingdom will come. When you pray... um, your will be done. Your kingdom come. That will be answered. His kingdom will come over the whole world. Revelation 20, 21. His throne will be relocated onto the dirt of the earth. Okay? Revelation 22. His throne will be here. And from his throne, just like it talks about in the end of Ezekiel, joy and life will proceed from his throne and cover the whole world, giving life to all things, making all things new. He says that. He says, behold, I make all things new. And that resurrected world will be a place where our resurrected bodies will be able to enjoy our resurrected king. As you guys realize, your body's a seed, you know? As we get older, we look more seed-like, don't we? get real wrinkly and look like a seed, right? Your body's a seed. First Corinthians 15 says that your body's a seed and it's going to get planted in the ground. And then when Christ returns physically, he returns to make all things new here, your body's going to be resurrected and come burst forth from the ground and be made new. You say, well, what if I got cremated? He could find all the parts, right? Because those people from thousands of years ago, he's going to have to look for those parts too. Bring them all together and make your body new. You know where I want my seed planted? Joshua tree. I just want that known physically right now in front of all of you, publicly known. I want it in Joshua tree, you know? Wouldn't it be a great place to come up out of the ground in Joshua tree? I was reading this book really recently called Gilead. And there's an old preacher named John Ames, and he's in his 70s. He's dying. He's writing letters to his, his son. And he says this about the town they live in. He says, this whole town does look like whatever hope becomes after it's become a little weary and then wearied a little more. But hope deferred is still hope. He says, I love this town. I think sometimes of going into the ground here as a last wild gesture of love. Isn't that cool? He talks about being buried. He goes, I think going into the ground here in this little town is going to be my one last gesture of love. And he says, "I too will smolder away the time until the great and general incandescence." I love that he calls it he calls the resurrection the incandescence. It means light, right? When the lights come on. He's like, "I'm going to smolder away until I come forth in the great and general incandescence." Can you imagine that? Can you imagine all of God's people, you know, coming forth from the ground and being made new in the general incandescence? You know, it's just amazing. I want to be in Joshua Tree because I like—I just had this visual of like, so I'm like coming out of the ground, you know, and like shake the dust off, and I'm like, rah, you know, like next to a Joshua Tree, you know, and I just love to see what that place is going to look like and in the incandescence, you know, that's awesome. How can we know that we have that to look forward to? It's all about your relationship to the Prophet, Priest, and King, right? Is he your Prophet? Is he your Priest? Is he your King? Have you heard the arresting word of the prophet? His powerful words are the words that created the world. Jesus' words created the world. Those words, if you trust in them, can give you a new heart. If you'll turn from your sin and trust in Him. And I don't know what your sin's got offering you. I mean, the sin's always talking to us, devil talks to us, our flesh talks to us. Makes us offers. Oh, I'll give you this in this life and give you that. What did your sin offer you that was better than what I just said? <laughs> what did you get? Like, did you get you know, some money? Did you get some free time on Sundays? Did you, what did you get? Did you get brunch? I don't know what you got. Like, what did you get for this? Did you get some short-term affair that makes you look like a complete idiot? You know, what did it give you? What is it, what is it offering? Is it offering you some, some, you know, short-term satisfaction, some superiority to other people? Maybe you got a grudge you don't want to let go of? You just, that taste of that bitterness just too good to let go of? Sin doesn't offer you anything like this. Come on. Come on. Turn from your sin and trust in him. Have you been drawn to, to God through this priest? This is the priest who has made the only sacrifice that removes sin forever. Doesn't need to be repeated. Doesn't need to be touched up. Doesn't need you to add anything. He sat down with confidence, right? How about this? Do you love the rule of this king in your life? you love the rule of this king? I'm not saying are you doing a great job at it, okay? I'm saying do you love his rule? Do you want to be ruled by this king? Are you looking more and more to have your life be brought under this king? Do you find his kingship good? I'll tell you what, guys, he's a priest king, and if you've met him as a priest, you're going to love him as a king. He's going to show you that service to him is perfect freedom. And if that's you today, I would like to invite you to come to the table. So during these next four songs, we'll take communion. I invite you to come to the table and take some of this bread, take the cup. The bread reminds us of his, his very physical, real body. The one he took with him was broken for you. The cup reminds us of his blood, which is more powerful than any sin in this room. You know, we have the temptation, the devil kind of tells us like, oh, but not you. No, you. <laughs> oh, yeah, but not something I just did recently. No, recent ones ones you're going to do in the future, ones you did a long time ago. If you come to him, his blood's that powerful. And, and what's really neat about this is Jesus has told us that this is one thing he's not doing in heaven. You know that? He said he will not take of this again until he takes it with us in the kingdom. That he's waiting to do this with us in the world to come. But you know what? Every time you take it, he spiritually will come and meet with you. Revelation 3.20 uh, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. If there's a real communion, there's a real fellowship we have with him as we take the elements and remember his death. And then we'll worship him. We have a reason to worship, guys. We have a massive reason to worship. You know, the apostles, they left and they were excited and they were worshipful and they were on mission and they went out. And I just want you to think about as we start to worship is what kind of worship is appropriate. You know, like what kind of worship that we would do right now with these four songs? What kind of worship is appropriate when your priest, prophet, and king is ascended and serving you in that way? It should be extravagant, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the good news of your son, and we thank you for the multi layeredness of it. That um, even when we talk about the ascension, we find new layers and new understanding of what you have done for us in your son. Help us to rest in this, Lord. I pray for all the moms, Lord, that, that to, on a day like this, there might be all types of different struggles that they might feel. And yet to rest in who you are and what you've done. And that they have been loved by you in a way that, that no one else can love them. Father, we pray that for all of us, Lord. Help us to turn away from sin that offers so many ridiculous, weak substitutes, and that we would wholeheartedly desire to live for you. You're so good, Lord. You are so good. The story gets better and better with time. We pray, Lord, as we take communion, that that we would have communion with you, that we would experience some bit of grace that we needed, that our souls would be fed. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.